here's what I want to talk about today. What, what's important in life? What matters? And I, we're all evaluating at the moment. We're all thinking as we come out of lockdown, what really matters? And I wonder if you've ever evaluated something or someone incorrectly. I wonder if you've made a bit of a hash of it. I remember when uh, I first started work as a civil engineer in my early 20s, and I worked in a big design office, and I was just trying to get to know people. And like you do in a, in a new job, you, you want to be liked, so you make chit-chat at the coffee machine. And I was talking to my boss, Ian, and I said, oh, what, what, do, what do you like to do then, Ian, for, for fun? You know? And uh, he was a sort of quite a round, geordie guy, and... Um, in his sort of mid-40s, and uh, he said, oh, he said, I like to play a bit of squash. <laughs> and I said, oh, really? He didn't look like the kind of guy who played a lot of squash. And uh, he, he said to me, he said, said do, you, do you play? And I, I, I said, I wanted to be liked, so I said, yeah, yeah, I, I play. <laughs> I, I think I played a bit of badminton at school once, and I thought, how different can those sports be, really? And, uh, and he said, oh, he said, do you fancy a game, one lunchtime? And I said... Sure. I mean, I looked at him and I thought, what he has in age and experience, I, I have in terms of youth and agility and fitness levels on my side. And I thought, it'll be good to give the older guy a bit of a, a workout, you know, keep his health going well. And uh, anyway, so we went and played a game of squash. And I don't remember a whole lot about that 30-minute squash game because I think my heart was beating so hard that the, the blood wasn't really getting to my brain. But... What I do remember is this, that I struggled to break a scoreline in that game, and my boss struggled to break a sweat, because uh, he totally thrashed me. And see, I'd got him wrong. I'd made a wrong judgment about him, and I'd made a very wrong judgment about myself in terms of my own abilities. And uh, I remember... Uh, another time, I bought, some, um, I bought some shares in a bank. Only two weeks later, somebody said, what a great investment. Two weeks later, they'd gone bankrupt. And I thought, well, that, 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 that was a wrong evaluation. There's other evaluations I've done well in my life. I, I, I married a, a lady called Julie, and that worked out rather well. We're celebrating 23 years of wedding, this, uh, getting married in, in a couple of days' time. And uh, that's, that's great. But here's the thing. You'll make evaluations in your life. And so will I. And here's the biggest evaluation you can make. It's who is Jesus and what are you going to do about him? And the Apostle Paul, who, who was the greatest Christian leader ever, he said, once upon a time, he said, I used to look at Jesus from an earthly point of view. He says, but I do so no longer. And today, if you're thinking about Christianity... I want to uh, encourage you to sign up for a pod course. If you email pod at kingschurchedinburgh.org, a guy will get you connected with that. Because what you do with the person of Jesus is fundamentally what matters and shapes everything about life. So we're going to read today about a king who got things badly wrong. He made a wrong evaluation about himself and his life, and he made a really wrong evaluation about God. And it's the story of King Belshazzar, and we're going to read it from Daniel chapter 5. Um, if you're reading in your own Bible, I'm missing a few verses here and there just for uh, time's sake. King Belshazzar gave a great banquet for a thousand of his nobles and drank wine with them. 
While Belshazzar was drinking his wine, he gave orders to bring in the gold and silver goblets that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem, so that the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines might drink from them. As they drank the wine, they praised the gods of gold and silver and of bronze, iron, wood and stone. Suddenly, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall near the lampstand in the royal palace. The king watched the hand as it wrote. His face turned pale and he was so frightened that his legs became weak and his knees were knocking. The king summoned the enchanters, astrologers and diviners. Then he said to these wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and tells me what it means will be clothed in purple and have a gold chain placed around his neck and he will be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom. And just to cut a bit out, nobody can interpret it. So somebody says, oh, what about Daniel? He can interpret dreams and and visions and things. So they bring him him in, and he starts by saying, well, here's the trouble, Belshazzar. He says, you have not learned anything from your predecessor, King Nebuchadnezzar, who God had humbled. Nebuchadnezzar thought he was like God, and God said, no, you're not, and he humbled him, and he ousted him from his throne for seven years, and he lost all of his faculties for that time until God restored him and he admitted that God was God and that he wasn't. Verse 22. But you, Belshazzar, his son, have not humbled yourself, though you knew all this. Instead, you have set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. You praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood and stone, which cannot see or hear or understand, but you did not honor the God who holds in his hand your life and all your ways. Therefore, he sent the hand that wrote the inscription. This is, what the inscription, this is the inscription that was written. Mene, mene, tekel, parsin. Here is what these words mean. Mene, God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed on the scales and found wanting. Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Then at Belshazzar's command, Daniel was clothed in purple. A gold chain was placed around his neck, and he was proclaimed the third highest rule in the kingdom. That very night, Belshazzar, king of the Babylonians, was slain, and Darius the Mede took over the kingdom at the age of 62. Well, that's the story you don't read in the children's Bibles, isn't it? This uh, dismembered hand writing on a wall. Um, if, you've, if your first language is English, you've probably heard the phrase, the English idiom, the writings on the wall. You, put your hand up if you've heard that phrase, yeah. So uh, we, we use it in just everyday speech. You've probably heard it. You know, if, if you turn up late to work every day for a month and you get called into your boss's office, somebody might say, I think the writing's on the wall. Or let's say you were a health secretary and you disobeyed the rules on social distancing, having asked others to follow them. You might say... The writing's on the wall. Or if you were a manager of a football team that was expected to do really well on Tuesday night and you didn't make it, you might say, hmm, the writing is on the wall. And literally, I mean, that, that phrase obviously comes from this story. Literally, the writing is on the wall for Belshazzar in this story. It's, it's a word of impending doom and judgment to come. Now, the book of Daniel, and this story in particular, it it forces us to think about what is really important, what matters. Now, when you think about the vast empires 
and history of all that was happening around Bible times. You had the Assyrian Empire, you had the Persian Empire, you had the Babylonian Empire right here. There's whole volumes of history written about all of these empires, thousands of people, thousands of years, thousands of miles. And yet the Bible doesn't talk much about any of that other than in how it relates to some of these people in this story. And that's fascinating because the Babylonians had some of the best architecture and art. They were amazing at maths and literature and science. Yet the thing that we're drawn attention to is not how great they were, but rather how insignificant that kingdom was to become in the light of God's coming kingdom. And There were characters in this story like Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego and Esther who we heard about last week. And it looked like the writing was on the wall for them many times in their life. Yet God rescued them and turned it around because he tells the story in the book of Daniel that his kingdom is the thing that ultimately wins. And these characters fought the fight of faith based on what mattered. Smith Wigglesworth said this, great, great faith is the product of great fights. Great testimonies are the outcome of great tests, and great triumphs can only come out of great trials. So today, if you feel you're in a season of fighting, of testing, of trial, then this is the stuff that the kingdom of God is made of, because these are the things that it's established in the midst of. Tough times don't last. Tough people do. And God makes you tough by helping you and strengthening you if you help him, if, if, if you let him. And they, these characters are in stark contrast to the kings of Babylon, such as Belshazzar. So Belshazzar was a descendant of Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel had served and interpreted dreams for his predecessor. Yet when Belshazzar rules, he does so without any reference at all to the God who has proved himself in Babylonian history. And Daniel calls him out on that. He says, you did not honor the God who holds in his hand your life and all your ways. In particular, it's likely that during this feast that we read about today, Cyrus, king of Persia, had sieged the city that they were in and was poised, ready to attack. And if you're a leader in that situation like Belshazzar is, you're faced with two choices in life generally. You either ask for help and admit a bit of vulnerability, or you pretend you're doing fine and put on a brave face. He does the latter. So he says, send for the goblets that we caught, that we captured from the temple of Jerusalem, and we will drink wine from these sacred vessels, just to remind ourselves that the gods of Babylon are stronger than any other god in the world. Therefore, we will have victory. And... Of course, in doing so, he's, a, he's directly challenging the true God. So here comes the verdict. The writing is on the wall for Belshazzar. And here's my summary. Time is up. You've failed. It's over. Time up. Failed. Over. Can you imagine somebody saying that over your life in public view of everybody and For you to then totally ignore it, promote the guy who just said it, and carry on life as if it's normal, only to have your life taken away from you that night. But that's what happened. 
So let's, let's hear these words today. Let's hear, if these are words that God spoke to that king in that time, then what was it about those things? Well, he starts by using the word numbered. He says, your days are numbered. Do you know, life is short. Life is short. Belshazzar acted as if he was in full charge, full, fully autonomous over his own future. And wise people know that none of us really are. If COVID has taught you one thing, it's this, that your future isn't totally in your hands. Wise people understand that life is a gift. Psalm 139 says, All the days ordained for me were written about in your book before one of them came to be. Do you know, every day is a gift from God. And God wants you and I to live that way. Psalm 90 says this, Teach us to realize the brevity of life so that we may grow in wisdom. Your life is short. So is mine. My my son Jack, he he graduated from high school this week. He's 18. I thought, where did those 18 years go? And I look in the mirror and I see I've got some grey hair now. And I think, where did that come from? See, none of us, no matter what age we are, think our days are numbered. You can live your life like you've got all the time in the world, boasting about tomorrow, and many can make that mistake. Jesus told the story of a rich fool in Luke chapter 12 who simply built bigger barns for himself to secure his future without any sense that God was going to say to him, tonight your life will be taken from you. So we need to live with correct perspective on today, live honoring God today, numbered, numbered. God says that phrase twice to Belshazzar. We're to know that our days are numbered by God. Some of us here are facing frailty. Some of us are more aware of our fragility and our vulnerability in life. Make sure that each day you just commit it to God. God's not looking for our busyness. He's looking for our devotion. Make your life count. Here's the second word of judgment. He says, the the report is ready. You've been weighed and found too light. Results day can be a tough day. Some of you watching have had results this week. You've had hires, advanced hires, nat fives, degree qualifications. For some of you, You've been delighted with that evaluation. Others will have been disappointed with some of that evaluation. But here's the thing, evaluation is never easy. And it was a tough day for Belshazzar. God was calling time on his way of ruling and living, his priorities, his prayers, his assumptions in life were all found light. Imagine a pair of old-fashioned scales, and and God weighs them, and, and it's totally out of balance. The parable of the talents in Matthew 25 teaches that sometimes the problem isn't just what we do with our time, but it's our approach to caution in life, that we don't actually do the things that we're meant to do. That the master comes back to the person who who thinks he's been wise, he's been cautious and buried his treasure. And he says to the master, I just thought I'd keep it here so you could do something with it when you got back. 
God, you know, the, the mantra of the age is stay safe, play it safe. And for obvious reasons, when there's a pandemic going around. But if we use that phrase to define the whole of our life, that we just play it safe, then we might find ourselves being weighed and found too light. You know, in the last year, many of us have been evaluating and reevaluating our lives in different ways. And some of that's been good, isn't it? Like, I, I remember chatting to a dad uh, at, at Ben's football the other day, and he said, you know what, he said, I've had tea with my kids every night in this pandemic. He says, I'm a civil servant, and I'm I, I, usually in the office late. He says, but it's been great. He said, I don't want to go back to the office. Some of us have learned, uh, learned the balance between home and office, family life, home life. Some of us have been evaluating home learning versus school learning. I don't think home learning is going to be getting many votes from many parents for the next several decades. But thank you, teachers, for all you've done uh, this year, and we really value you all the more. Um, We're evaluating busyness versus leisure time. People say, I just don't want to be as busy as I was before. Perhaps it's been a time of evaluation in your business or in a relationship. This might seem like an obvious point, but some of your evaluations will be wrong. You'll have made some good, good spots over the last while, but some of the things that you have concluded will be totally wrong. Have you found that in, in this, this last year? Sometimes I've come to conclusions and things like, no, I'm right about that. And then a couple of months later, I thought, oh, I was totally wrong about that. Have you found that? Yeah, I, I found that. And um, here's a proverb for you. Uh, if you could put this up on the screen, please. Proverbs 16, verse 2 says, we are all in love with our own opinions, convinced they're correct, but the Lord is in the midst of us, testing and probing our every motive. Isn't that true? We we always think our view is the right one, but humility says that we must listen to wisdom and counsel and scripture. So here's some wrong conclusions perhaps we might be coming to. At this time, after a year of just hanging out with family more, if you've got a family living in your home, you might be coming to conclusions like, you know what, all that church stuff every Sunday, what just really robbed us of quality family life together? And you might find yourself saying things like, yeah, maybe we don't need to do that as often. Maybe we don't need to do that every week from now on. Well, it says in the scripture that they devoted themselves to the fellowship. There was no part-time Christians in the Bible. Some people will say things, you know what, I haven't really been enjoying small group. Maybe I don't need to commit to small group as much going forward. And in doing so, you've reached a wrong conclusion because you thought a small group was about what you got out of it rather than you being a blessing to other people, sharing your life with others, caring for others, and uh, bringing your spiritual gifts to bear fruit in other people's lives. You know, it matters that we're making disciples of other people. It matters that we're sharing our life with older people and younger people. It matters that we're following Jesus in areas of purity and character. Weighed and found wanting. And then the final reckoning, when, where uh, Belshazzar's, he, 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 what he lived for is exposed and destroyed. Your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. You know, legacy matters. All of us will have a day of reckoning before Jesus. And uh, the, the truth is, you're saved by grace, 
But it says this in 1 Corinthians 3. No one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus. But if anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be, re- it will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. There will be some things in our lives that endure the day of reckoning and some things that won't. Acts of self-sacrifice will be celebrated and honoured. Acts of self-preservation will be exposed. And in the midst of that, we're told in the Bible that your faith has greater worth than gold. Do everything in your power to do things that ensure your faith thrives in this season ahead. Because that's ultimately what will matter. Now, if you're hearing this today, and you're thinking, many, many, tickled parson, weighed and found wanting, days numbered, and you're folding your arms thinking, yeah, I think I'm doing pretty well on all this stuff. Then the good news is you've got somebody just like you in the Bible, Belshazzar. (laughs) Now, if, however, and I suspect this is most of us here, you're thinking, oh, flip. You know, there are things in my life where I feel like I could be weighed and found wanting. There are things about my life where I don't live with that eternal perspective and with the true value of today. Well, I think if you're feeling inadequate and vulnerable and you're feeling your brevity of life, If you're sick in body or mind and you feel the weakness of knowing your days are few, and if you heed the warning of these verses, then the wonderful thing, help is at hand. This odd picture, let's come to the oddness of the picture now, shall we? The the severed hand, writing on a wall. It sounds like a horror film, doesn't it? Well, let's think about it a different way. If you'll pardon the pun, I feel like this hand was a pointer to something much more significant. You see, it was a human hand. Do you not think, well, why didn't God use a pen or a paintbrush? Why didn't he just make the words appear? He used a human hand to inscribe these words of judgment onto the wall so they could be read. I think it's for this reason, that it's pointing to a God who wants to communicate in human terms to the human race, It's communicating and pointing to one who would become flesh. Perhaps this hand is none other than the hand of Jesus himself. But we're not seeing the complete Jesus, we're just seeing this part of him. This part of him bringing judgment in this situation at this moment. But this God will be born as a baby into this world and would grow up in human flesh. And whilst it's true, he pointed the finger at religious hypocrites and his enemies, and he exposed their lies and their hypocrisy. You know, that was only part of what his hands did. You know, he used his hands to bless children when other people were chasing them away. He used his hands to touch lepers who nobody else would touch. He used his eyes to open blind eyes. He used his hands to open blind eyes. There was one time when he was writing with his finger in the dirt when a woman caught in adultery was brought before him, condemned with people ready to stone her. 
And he kept writing in the dirt. And he said, you who is without sin, cast the first stone. And then he says to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. See, this finger is a finger of grace in the hand of Jesus. You know, these hands would one day be stretched out and nailed to a cross because in God's reckoning, we'd all been tested and found light on his scales. And on the cross, he removed our sin from the scales and instead he loaded it with his righteousness, his goodness, his rightness, his truth, his love, all given to us as a gift. And his days were numbered for our sake. And you could have looked at Jesus that day, and some did, and effectively said, well, the writing's on the wall for him. He's dead. He's gone. But three days later, he rose again, and he invited Thomas to touch those scarred hands and to put his hand into the hands of Jesus. You see, the hand of judgment became the hand of blessing. Isn't that remarkable? Some of you here today, you feel that God has it in for you. You feel like no matter what happens in your life, this is somehow God's doing and his judgment to you. Well, the hands of Jesus tell a different story. The hands of Jesus say that he loves you, he's for you, and he invites you to put your hand into his hand because everything has been done to take your sin away. There's no punishment left. And one final thing. Those hands, when Jesus stood on the Mount of Olives Olives before he ascended, it says he lifted his hands to bless his disciples. Those are hands of blessing for you today. They're hands of empowering. They're they're hands of commissioning. I feel for some today, God wants to recommission you into his service. Some of you have felt on the sidelines perhaps unable to serve or act in the freedoms that you've had, but I just believe that the hands of Jesus are outstretched to you today, and he's blessing you. And we know the words. He says, go into all the world and make disciples, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Just feel his spirit is coming to fill you now. You know, church was never meant to be a spectator sport. It's meant to be a place where your gifts are used by Jesus to bless and serve others and the world. So let's let the hands of Jesus touch us today. Holy Spirit, we just welcome you here. Come and fill this place. Come and fill our homes. Search our hearts, Lord. Lord, you know where, you know the true evaluation, you know the true state of our hearts. Lord, you know where we've been on the scales and found lights. Yet I thank you that you choose to love us. And I thank you that you have found a way to bless us rather than judge us in Jesus. So Lord, I want to just pray for anybody who's watching or here today who doesn't know you. I pray Lord, that they'd 
be able to put their trust in you just now. Lord, I want to pray for any any of us, myself included, Lord, who are in danger of just reaching wrong conclusions. Those of us who are in danger of making choices which are unwise and will ultimately not bear the fruit that you would have for us. Lord, I I pray would you arrest us in our thinking. Would you have mercy on us? Would you show us what is right? Help us to keep loving you. Help us to keep loving your church. Help us to keep loving your kingdom. Help us to keep serving others. And please, Lord, would you give us all the grace and the help we need? Because I thank you that you give grace to the humble. So today, Lord, we humble ourselves before you. Amen.